Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the latest episode of Box Office Bootleg. Sorry that we had a little bit of a delay. Both of us had to go in the ER off of our loquitia viewing experience. And um, you're the one that freaked out. I think I think we should just keep it as a cathartic experience where we just <laughs> we, let's just never mention that movie again because it I is mean, a war crime against comedy. Yeah, it's well, I mean, it's a war crime against humanity. I mean, Jesus. It's like, I don't know. Like, I think I think he just made that movie to troll people or no, or no. just or, Rich, or, or or it's just like or just just to feed like feed into that whole culture wars type of thing, because there's no way on earth that you would make that type of movie and just like blatantly put it out on the Internet for people to see. Rich, I think it's literally the opposite with this guy. I think he is gen- he was generally oblivious to any aspect of it. I mean, Rich, for God's sake, his answer for how he came up with the name LaQuisha was, it just came to him. Out of the weeds, out of the breeze, somehow a name like that, just like LaQuisha, wow. That totally didn't come from like a botched racist joke at a dive bar or anything like that. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. just um, for what it's worth, people, just try to find somebody's... Um, Amazon Prime account to just completely wreck their recommendations with and uh, just give it a swirl come back nah, to us tell us what or don't 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 bother it, don't, don't bother don't bother like once you've seen the if you've seen the trailer you pretty much saw the movie because 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 the movie is even worse <laughs> the movie finds ways to become even more inexplicably tone deaf and ridiculous yeah. and embarrassing for itself I mean I mean, like, if anyone knows, like, if it functions like the real world, this man wouldn't, like, he wouldn't end up, at the end of the movie, he wouldn't get his own radio show. I mean, yes. I mean, like, if anyone learned from Don Imus. Now, now, Rich, <laughs> you're missing the biggest part about the ending of this movie, where it legitimately had a Premiere Pro render error kept in the official release. Well, yeah. the still frame. We found it, and put it this way: it's obvious enough where anybody is going to be like, "Wait, what the hell just happened in this?" And he kept it in. He kept it in because, in his words, he thought the buzz was enough to where he needed to get this in front of people's eyes as soon as possible, so that they could be able to see that he meant well with the film that he did. And it's like, Jeremy, I'm sorry, buddy. It's just, it's. it's I think he didn't check the movie at all. It was one of those things where, like, okay, we exported it. Let's just put it up online. Yeah. So enough about LaQuisha. Um, so now we're in the mo- uh, in the month of June. We just went through a pretty interesting, versatile May as far as the box office is concerned. I mean, obviously the indomitable champ of everything was Avengers Endgame, which as far as its current rankings... It's still not quite an avatar. It's it's probably going to nudge right to it, which uh, kind of matches reasonably to my predictions. Let's see. Currently, it's at seven. It's at two point seven billion uh, yeah. or two point seven one six billion, because yeah. we actually have to be really specific with what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And avatar was at two point seven eight eight million. Now, I think. That's definitely close enough. 
That's definitely a close enough it's, where I think Disney Disney's going to do some type of like late summer push just to be able to like get it past it, it because de- Disney's obsessed with milestones. It depends because uh, because uh, like right now, right now, like a lot of predictions, like a lot of people that were predicting um, in-game beating Avatar, they were saying that by mid-July, but the way how everything slowed down, they said... Uh, these like a lot of people are now predicting if it if it keeps up with a slow pace, maybe Labor Day or even a little bit after Labor Day weekend. If, uh, well, that's what I mean. Late summer push, they'll probably do something like, "Hey, remember Avengers Endgame?" But bam, here it is, Labor Day weekend. Have fun, have a great time. But I, it's it's close enough. It's going to get those late summer numbers, and then mm-hmm. Disney is not going to shut up for the next decade about it. Until Avatar 2 ends up earning $3 billion somehow because James Cameron just has to have the highest grossing movie of all time, Reg. It's, it's, it's an unwritten rule of the industry. He has to have the number one he highest grossing movie. He makes those crowd pleasing movies. That's why, that's why Avatar was number one for 10 straight weeks. Yeah, that's true. That was a. I, I worked during that. That was a. <laughs> That was a wild time to be at the movie. I mean, theater. like Titanic was the same way too. Like, I mean, like even then, even then, it was still like we'll bounce between like either number one, and number two, but it still never went below twenty million. Yeah, per weekend. Well, it's into well, it's interesting now comparing the three films respectively in the top three because all of them got to where they were at um, for different reasons, but still cohesive reasons. Uh, Titanic, for example, Titanic is what it would consider. Um, or someone coined it. It's the perfect four quadrant movie. Mm-hmm. It had something for everybody. It had the romantic angle for you know couples and all that. Yeah. It had the antiquated costumes and the production uh, for anybody that's elderly. Uh, mm. For men, respectively. I mean, it still functions, especially in the third act, as like a really well made tense thriller. You know, yeah. like once the Titanic's actually sinking, yeah. it's actually really thrilling and exciting. So we had something for men as well. It also didn't hurt that there was a full frontal nude scene in a PG-13 movie. So mm. that's a factor too for I teenage boys. For no, teenage no, boys. I could have sworn she was just topless. The fact that it's still a pair of breasts, Reg, in a PG-13 movie, teenage boys are oh, still okay. going to be like, you don't think... Oh, oh, come on. You don't on. think that was come a factor? I, I mean, that's, I mean, that is a factor, but it's like, okay, I grew up watching Total Recall, so. Like, There's still just, <laughs> Titanic was able to get every demographic that it yeah. could, and that's what it was able to do it. And I'm saying I mean, the fact that, the yeah. fact that it even had something for teenage boys is what helped it out. Okay. I mean, it's like it's like I was like eight years old when I saw like uh, like saw the uh, the aliens like showing off her three titties. Yes, but that was home video, and Total Recall is like a super R rated movie. Mm. What I'm saying is that this was a PG thirteen movie. Yeah. Uh, where I think the only two films that I could recall. And this is an interesting cover, and it'll actually go with what this episode is about. Mm-hmm. Our June predictions. And the, one of the films coming out yesterday, you know, Beatles related, Across the Universe is the only other PG-13 movie that I can think of 
where it did actually have like somebody topless. And I think the excuse that they've used and it was the excuse that they used in Titanic was that technically since she was being drawn, it was a non sensual situation. Mm. In other words, it was an artistic representation of a female body as opposed to a, you know, yeah. a topless scene. Mm-hmm. So, and it was the same context in the Across the Universe scene where it was when James Sturgis's character was drawing Evan Rachel Wood, mm. where she happened to be topless. Those are the only two movies that I think have gotten away with it. I am stunned that Hollywood producers have not been like, we need to have more art school scenes in our PG-13 movies, <laughs> in our high school movies. We need to have... We need I mean, to have more of it. But I mean, like, when you see, like, like a lot of these, like, teen comedies, I mean, they really push the envelope. I think, and, and to be fair, I think the MPAA, with all the fucking issues that that organization has, mm-hmm. I think they would have, even they would have caught on to basically looking at the studios making these teen comedies and being like, guys... We know why you're doing this scene. We know why you're doing it. We can't. We can't have this in a PG-13 movie. <laughs> but anywho, back to the subject. So yeah, Titanic yeah. getting all those demographics. Avatar, you know, revolutionary mm. 3D technology. It was the kind of experience that you can only really be able to do by going to the movie theater and watching it in 3D. So it was just able to capitalize on that and also. It was right at the time when the international market, too, was really blowing up at just the right time, especially with markets like China. Like Mm. that was like the first year, 2009, where China was basically the super important uh, marketplace that it became for the box office. Mm. And Avatar was just able to just bank on it. Absolutely bank on it. And of course, as we talked about with Avengers Endgame, you're talking about a unique situation where... You know, you're talking about 11 years of anticipation that was able to build up on a culmination of almost like a series finale kind of situation. And, yeah. of course, it did immense game busters. Um, and it may end up with the crown when all is said and done. Again, but again, it, like, it pretty much like spread it to the uh, spread it to the crown instead of having, you know, having that uh, having those legs. Yeah, yeah. But that's what happens when you open $350 million opening weekend. It's like, I mean, like even if your legs aren't even, great. Even, even then, it was like, I was like still doubtful that was going to hit uh, Avatar. Uh, like, I was still doubtful that was going to hit Avatar numbers. Because, and, now, and, now like, it's, and now it's just going to skirt by. It's going to just skirt by. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a celebration. Crack one open for the MCU. Mm. So, anywho, going to this month of May, uh, just since we, <laughs> there were way too many damn movies that came out. So, Reg, what was some surprises to you about how May turned out with some films? Um, the only ones that surprised me was John Wick 3, mm-hmm. uh, John Wick 3 pulling in, uh, like, a ton of, a uh, ton of money. Yeah, yeah, like, your projection, you were saying that it was gonna open at, like, 29 25. million or something. Yeah, it was, like, 25, because, uh, like, <sighs> like, for some reason, I thought, um, like, for some reason, I thought it was just, uh, um, <sighs> you wild, I think you wildly underestimated just the fan base for John Wick, the fact that it's been able to build up anticipation with the home video market, right. 
And the fact that Keanu himself is a meme. <laughs> it's like the fact that what actor would you say was talked about the most in the past month or two? I mean, like, I mean, yeah, right? I, yeah, yeah, but yeah, but I mean, like, I was like, I was under the impression that you know it's an R-rated like action movie that's you know around the, around the same weekend as the Game of Thrones and 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 also I thought because of Avengers and Detective Pikachu that mm-hmm. John Wick would get those uh, get that good type of number. Yeah, yeah. So, but, yeah. but hey, it's uh, it, it's still doing gangbusters. We get our chapter four in 2021. Yeah. We chatted about that the previous episode. Um, so certain surprises. Aladdin, Aladdin is already at uh, just this um, as of today. It's at 198 domestically. Both me and Reg were kind of like, we don't know what this film is going to like make it past 200. And now mm-hmm. it's in serious competition to be able to potentially flirt with 300 million when all mm. is said and done. So um, what yeah. do you think helped out Aladdin other than just point blank nostalgia? <laughs> I think that's about it. Just the nostalgia uh, like this now is pretty much a nostalgia factor. Because I do not see anything else other than, you know, people who grew up watching Aladdin, the animated, um, like, you know, the anime feature one see it. Yeah. People that love the songs, like, the songs are there, so. I mean, if if anything, Disney has to be feeling really good about themselves with Lion King because everybody's already, like, projecting Lion King to be at 200 million, and yeah, this was before Aladdin. Man... 200 million is going to be on the lower end, I feel like. But but that's a that that's for another episode. Yeah. So, um were there anything that surprised you as far as like how low it did? Uh for Aladdin? No, 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 just like in general the film set came out. I mean, like pretty much like some of the movies that made less uh less money, I was was way too generous at certain um at certain occasions like for example, I had thought the hustle Opening up um, a long, I mean, opening up outside of Detective Pikachu at least get to twenty million, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Currently, yeah, the hustle, like the hustle opened at thirteen, and currently yeah. it's only at thirty three point six. Sorry about the construction <laughs> happening in the background again. Good lord. Um, but yeah, you know the the bigger topic at hand, like as far as like films that ended up producing a little less than people anticipated. There's that common conversation, right, about yeah. the middle class of films just not being able to break out. You know, the the two obvious ones is Long Shot. Uh, Long Shot, you know, it got good reviews. It mm. opened up in a position to be able to be counter-programming. But Long Shot only opened up to $9.7 million and ended up... Uh, it's it's already finishing out. Like it's about to go to second run theaters already Wait, with uh, about twenty nine point nine million. Oh crap! I forgot what was the long shot about. Oh my good! Uh, that was the one with Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, the uh, other uh, film. Wait, 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 where's that right now? It's at thirty million, so it's like so, so. So it's about it's about the same realm as the director, uh, who, the guy who directed that movie. He did like uh, he did uh, twice the night before, uh, like a couple of fifty uh, fifty with Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen and a lot of his films usually peters out around 30, 35 to forty million. Yeah, yeah. 
So like it's so it's on par with uh, like what what the directors bring bringing in, but but positioning wise, obviously, you yeah. know, Lionsgate was hoping for something that would probably play more to the Judd Apatow crowd, just like some romance kind of counter programming, and, and of course, the one that's actually been a huge topic in the past two weeks is Booksmart. Yeah, where Booksmart, uh, despite being a A twenty four. No, it's, it's, it's not. A, it's, oh, I'm sorry. I missed, I no, again, I got when we were talking beforehand. Um, like our I, friend uh, United uh, Artist. That's right. Uh. Like as <laughs> we like, I keep forgetting that it's uh, it's Anna Parada, not A24. Mm-hmm. Because uh, like I know if it was A24, they should have known better. Because like the advertising that they did on this movie is like a hipster movie. That like the ones that you see that's in limited release, and it's like okay, if you're going to open up in 2,000 theaters. You, you need to push the comedy. You just need to, like, say, you know, just yeah, blame yeah. about so, it. So just so people know about what the narrative is going on right now, uh, Booksmart, when it came out uh, over Memorial Day weekend, it opened to 6.9 million. Um, you know, obviously not the best opening, but what was interesting is that there was actually a bit of a campaign that was starting to grow on Twitter where even people like Lady Gaga and Chris Evans and other folks mm-hmm. basically were saying, go see this movie, go see this movie in the movie theaters. Because as as I was mentioning, there's a whole conversation where right now just the utter domination of these big budgeted movies have kind of squeezed down anybody that isn't, you know, the indie festival film. And most of those end up coming out in the second half of the year anyway. So, so like, I, I I appreciate that they're trying to like get people excited to be like, Hey, you want to see more movies like this in the movie theater and get produced, go see it in the theaters and you'll get the thumbs up. (laughs) Except the counter to that is like, if you look at last year, you know, me and Reg were talking about this, where look at something like eighth grade or mid nineties, where it's like those films stuck to the limited circuit where they built up the buzz they kept it to the people that they knew were going to watch and both of them ended up on Amazon Prime anyways so yeah but but, but, I mean they were also going for like like for um, for award season too because both of those films like were were like I can see those films like going up for like the Spirit Awards, uh, like which is the uh, indie like which is like kind of the Oscars for the indie I mean yeah, yeah 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 but um, yeah, but I mean that's I mean that's the kind of strategy that I would see like with something with Booksmart, where it's like I'm sure that they had like the budget, like the like the mo- the budget that this movie have will still qualify for that. But you needed to get hipsters excited about it. You needed to get the market that would care about this. Or well, I mean, like they had. I mean, again, it's like the people that. But again, the people that were complaining about this were like the same people that would go watch these movies. It's just, you, you don't, you don't open up. Like, again, it's the problem is, is they open, they open this film up at 2000 seats and you need to like advertise in the way where you need to get butts and seats. And like say like, Oh, this is the highest rated, you know, movie like um, Rotten Tomatoes or like all these critics or even like, Oh, it's directed by a woman. It's like, that shit is not gonna like that shit won't drum up as much excitement as as like like as another film that I saw like the other day. I saw I went to a screening of Good Boys, and all they said was like, "Yeah, we're like it's like it's produced by the guys who did Super Bad," and they you know they 
pretty much showed all the, a lot of the jokes in the movies, and it pretty much. And I can and I can assure you that movie's going to do game like will do way better than do way better than Booksmart. Yeah. Well, it'll hmm. Well, and see, Good Boys though made the smart decision to go with South by Southwest. Like they knew it's like, hey, we I mean, need to be able to like capitalize but, on that audience, and then. But I mean, but but, but again, like a lot of those films do do the South by Southwest run. Booksmart was part of South by Southwest and Sundance. Yeah, but what I'm saying is is. Is like the way how they advertise that movie. They pretty much blatantly say, "Yeah, it's super bad," but with with middle schoolers, and he showed like all like a lot of the jokes. Yeah. So it's like you know whether you find the movie funny or not, they know that you know they know at least it'll get you. It will pique your interest into go seeing it. Yeah. Well, you know that's almost like an interesting thing, and that almost be a whole topic to kind of like look at. You know where. With R-rated teen comedies, it's certain you'd almost say that it's definitely easier to be able to market towards like teenage boys, respectively, yeah. because they're gonna go see that R-rated late summer comedy. And the release date that Good Boys is coming out, August sixteenth, that's perfect. That's either like the week of or the week before these like teenage kids that like are being taken by like their bigger brother or their mm-hmm. parents or their friend or whomever is able to like buy tickets for them. You yeah. know, it's geared it release schedule is also a huge factor too that I think people need to keep in mind with Booksmart where it's like the kind of audience that would really appreciate something like Booksmart, be it, you know, the people that like those indie kind of films, or for Generation Z teenage girls, it's like why on earth would you release it Memorial Day weekend? When they're going to be with their families, when they're going to want to see Aladdin. Yeah, they're going to go see Aladdin. They're going to go see like a a Pikachu again or something. And again, well, I mean, again, even then, it's like, you know, you consider it like a date movie. People will go see Aladdin over, you know, Booksmart. Exactly. And Booksmart, because it's R-rated, that's already kind of limiting where it's like if a 16-year-old Jen's uh, Zoomer or somebody wanted to take their boyfriend. It's like they're not going to be able to see Booksmart over Memorial Day weekend. I'm sorry. You know, and like I appreciate the bigger conversation, but there's some pretty obvious factors that affected Booksmart. And I don't want them to feel incentivized in making these type of films because it's good to be able to have like these films kind of come through the woodworks because sometimes it ends up like really working out in the end. It's just in this case, it didn't work out for Booksmart. I mean, like, there's, I mean, like, and I could go through, like, a, like a list of other films that, that opened up at Sundance and still had, like, a love to run. I mean, like, like, um, like, one of my favorite movies, uh, like, Sorry to Bother You, with, um, like, you had, like, a, I think it was, like, mid-July? No, that, no, that's the crazy thing. Um, like mid- I, I was gonna bring up Sorry to Bother You, where it's, like, Sorry to Bother You had, like, a semi, semi-wide release, but, oh, you know what it was? I think they were planning to do a wide release, but I think they got kind of like hetchy fetchy about it. And well, when you, you know, see the know. movie, considering like, the yeah, kind of movie I mean, it like is. yeah, 
like, like it would it would have. Uh, I mean, like the ending would have like like. I mean, even watching the movie, it's like the ending was very divisive. It's like either you're gonna go with it or it's like you're done. No, the movie itself is like this wonderful anti-capitalist skid where it's like somehow this movie was just able to like sneak pack. Uh, sneak past the producers and just be like this little cutthroat thing and it's just man I love that movie and Boots is like Boots is keeping it real you know 100% on his uh, Twitter and everything and it's like man I hope that movie I hope that man is able to get you know the budget again because like I don't know if he's going to be able to pull a fast one in the studio like he was able to do with this uh, what he was able to do with Sorry to Bother You so um, but anywho, moving on to June, the month of June, we have so much less films to be able to cover over <laughs> this time. So, but it's still exciting stuff to be able to talk about. So, all right, June 7th, we got two films coming down the pipeline. We got Dark Phoenix, the last of the 20th Century Fox films, and a culmination of 19 years of comicdom. The film that started this whole craze of the superhero genre just dominating every aspect of our lives in this industry. And then we have The Secret Life of Pets 2. The newest film from Illumination, the sequel to, perplexingly, the highest grossing domestic film that Illumination has ever made. The original Secret Life of Pets actually made more money here in the U.S. than any of their other films more than any of the yes. despicable me films more than even the minions film so reg what do you got uh for super life of pets i have it opening up at 75 uh around 75 million um and then dark phoenix i say 45 Okay. Okay. I mean, like, well, what do you see? What do you see? Secret Life of Pets finishing out with? Because remember, in two weeks, it's going to have to. It's going to lose all of its audience to Toy say, Story Four. So I would say like two seventy. But again, I didn't see uh, what the first movie did. Well, just so people know what I'm talking about with the first movie, like you want to think something like. But Secret Life. Of, well, Secret Life of Pets opened up in mid June, and it had no competition. No, no, it opened up. The second weekend of July, um, oh, back oh. in 2016. Um, yeah, there was there was nobody else. It, it was able to take advantage of like a a little blank spot in the schedule, but just to put in perspective, 2016, right? Um, you had Zootopia that came out that year. Yeah, Zootopia made 245 million dollars domestically. Yeah. Secret Life of Pets made two made three hundred and sixty eight million dollars domestically. It is the sixth highest grossing domestic animated film of all time. Like, like when you think of Illumination, right? You're obviously thinking Despicable Me. You're obviously thinking, you know, Minions. Uh, recently, they came out with The Grinch. The Grinch. Insanely, The Grinch was able to be the second highest grossing film domestically after Aquaman. 
right right like the wow. amount the amount of money illumination makes with their films is eye-opening is is extremely eye-opening yeah. and just with with secret life of pets right mm-hmm. um yeah 368 million the seventh highest grossing domestic film of all time animation wise hmm. man people love their pets don't they like it was, I mean, and, and I mean, like, is either babies or pets? Like there like, was no hook other than just the pets. Like I, I, I would, I would use this film to teach, you know, marketing wise, where it's just like, hey, what is the most fundamental thing that people are gonna like about this movie? Okay, people love their pets. People love their pets doing dumb things. People yeah. love dumb pets doing dumb things on video. Yeah. Okay, here's a whole animated movie basically doing that. Basically I doing mean, that. That's well, I mean, that's pretty much it. And it worked. It, it, it worked <laughs> to the point where it's like, I think it, it cannot be understated just like how much money this movie was able to make. I mean, they're making a Secret Life of Pets ride at Universal Studios for crying out loud. <laughs> you know, it, it's yeah. it's a big deal for Illumination. So... Um, the numbers that I had for Secret Life of Pets was at like 75 million as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I think both of us are probably going to be eating crow. It's probably going to make like 120 million. Just it's going to su- it's just going to surprise I mean, the hell out of us. I mean, if it surprises the hell of us, so be it. Because uh, I mean, like, Jesus, it's like some of, the, like, some of these things is just hard. To, it's hard to predict. Illumination as a company just knows yeah knows exactly how to be able to get that corner market where they can just be able to sell you on the concept and my issue with the company is always go- is they're going to put the minimal effort into it but it's going to be just enough for the kind of people that are appealed to the concept of yeah. like my like uh, seeing the Grinch movie and everything, like the Grinch movie, I kind of hated just because it was the most minimal effort possible way to be able to make a Grinch movie. And that movie ended up making, oh my God, that movie ended up making $270.6 million domestically. In fact, just just to check, it is the highest grossing international Christmas movie of all time. Oh. Of all time, just mm. just straight up. Well, I mean, I mean, like, uh, like, and so, I mean, aside from all the uh, Doctor Seuss, uh, Doctor Seuss properties, like the Grinch was always going through gangbusters, no matter what you do with the uh, property. It's like as long as you don't, like, as long as you just don't, don't pull a cat in the hat, like with Mike Myers. Where it's like it's just an absolutely terrible movie. Hey, they're making like, hey, Illuminations making Cat in the Hat. But uh, down the line, anyways. But too, I mean, like so. the cat. But I mean, like the cat has like the second most popular property. So, like it's going to do gangbusters. Ah, uh, like. yeah. Anywho, moving on to the next major release is, of course, Dark Phoenix. Nineteen years worth of anticipation and uh, build up with this X Men franchise that really started this entire superhero genre thing that has dominated the box office and basically the whole discourse of modern cinema 
And yeah, things have not looked so bright for this one. And it's just constantly felt like this thing just is basically plopping out onto theaters. It was supposed to come out in November. It was mm. supposed to come out February. In fact, the first trailer, you can go back, listed its February release date. And then a week after the trailer came out, they delayed it to June. And apparently the reason they had to do that is that they had to reshoot the entire final third act sequence because apparently it was too close to Captain Marvel, where you have like this illuminated fiery girl Mm. that was probably going to fight off some alien squad. So instead, we have a train sequence. Yeah. Isn't that so exciting? Again. 13 years to do this story right. Again. But, but apparently they also had to like play down the alien, um, the whole alien part. So like, I think one critic was saying that, uh, that in some parts it like, feels that they made Jessica Chastain like part of her, like, like her hallucinations or like whatever, just to like write off, like, you know, just to write it off. Yeah, it's like you had all these characters that you could have used from the X-Men comics where it's like, hey, maybe it's a female mastermind. No. Oh, maybe it's the Shi'ar Empire. No. Oh, maybe it's uh, the Felix. No. The Badoon? No. Maybe it's Cassandra? No. 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 Instead, instead the man, uh, uh, Simon Kinberg, who Mm. wrote X-Men The Last Stand, but Mm. now is given this incredible opportunity to uh, finally set things right and has basically been this uh, underlying force all throughout this franchise, is now the one to finally set things off. So, (sighs) Jesus. Uh, I mean... (laughs) It's it's funny talking about this because, like... Everybody just kind of feels like, can we just move on past this? Because everybody in the trailers looks like they Even, don't want to be there. I mean, like, Jennifer Lawrence was, like, totally done with the franchise. It's apocalypse. Her, it's like, why did you still bring her in the group? Her freaking makeup in the trailers. It's like, okay, I'll do the Mystique makeup, but it better take, like, a half hour. Like, it's just that. And once again, it's just Xavier Magneto again. Yeah. We, I don't know. It, it, this is a clear example where it's it's a franchise that's been able to survive, but it's clearly in the hands of people that don't want to do anything different with it. Despite the fact that the most success the most successful X Men related film are the Deadpool movies. And even though I had issues with the second one, you could at least like say, hey, it did something different with the formula. It did yeah. something that showed the versatility of the X-Men. And the X-Men have so much material that they could do. And it just feels like we're still doing the 2000 movie. It still it, feels like they, it's so scared they, they where it, it, it's a bunch of people standing around in a suburb and like a house blows up. It's still a bunch of people standing around talking about we're going to go after the humans. It's a bunch of standing fucking around. And apparently the bless you, And apparently the reviews for this one is just completely <laughs> running the gamut. It's at yeah. like 21 percent. And 
I don't know. I'm just kind of done with it myself. I'm still going to see it. I'm going to be like two, three drinks in, just like giving us salutations where it's like, bye. Can't wait to see you in six years when we get like an actual proper X-Men flick for once. Again, again, like because um, like I mean, with the X-Men property, um, I mean, like I know like a lot of us that grew up watching the animated series knows like a lot, like no uh like a handful of characters, like more characters that has been the, the more characters that has been seen in the movies. Yeah. But, but yeah. when you start, but when you start talking about the aliens and all that stuff, that's, that's still like, that's still like, like, like deep, like deep lore stuff. Like something that either you gotta be more familiar with the comic books or, a couple of episodes. I know, like, Dark Phoenix. I think they did bring in the alien race. No, they, they, it was a five-episode thing. They went to the moon. They threw down with, like, yeah. the fucking Praetorian Guard. Gladiator. With this, like, purple skin mm. and this, like, giant cape and giant mohawk, you know, was there. See, I remember bits and pieces of that, of the cartoon. Like, I've, I've seen the cartoon, but it's like, I've seen bits and like, I remember bits and pieces of There's it. There's these... X-Men have all these wonderful wild elements to it and the films have never been able to like actually capture that and even and it's like okay if you're trying to go more grounded with it it also hasn't done the grounded one that great either the only one that's been able to do that is Logan and Logan works so well because it's basically a western that just so happens to be kind of associated with the X-Men films yeah like it's almost a testament to the fact that the best film the that the 20th century fox x-men franchise has been able to produce benefited more from having nothing to do with what they established so so the numbers we got is 44 mil it'll be lucky to get 110 maybe It'll do good uh, internationally yeah, because it's like it's big, it's fiery, yeah, it's dumb, it's CGI. That's what everyone said. It's like, it's like the only reason why Disney will, will may want to do another X Men movie is because the international numbers. But no, they'll do it. They're for no. Disney is not going to sleep on the X Men property. They're probably going to wait until Phase. I'd say five. So the soonest that we would see one would probably be. 2024, 2025. It, it depends on what they want to do because make money. Well, I mean, like it depends on what they want to do because they, I mean, like with Disney Plus, they don't have a, uh, they don't have an epic uh, television show. Like everyone, like everyone's like like putting all their money into like all these epic fantasies, like Amazon, X- like sort of X Men. I think would work brilliantly. That's, as, I mean, that's as, why I'm thinking what X is going to happen. Is like, I think X Men is going to be their Game of Thrones because that would work. Because the biggest issue that these films have dealt with, and I think it's just because the screenwriters uh, and the directors just kind of suck at ensemble, is that they have these characters, but they only the only characterization that they've bothered to do is Xavier, Magneto, and Wolverine. Yeah. That's it. And now we don't even have Wolverine in this one, so it's like... You're, you're trying to set up this tragedy about Jean Grey turning into the Dark Phoenix, and it's like, we just got introduced her in the last one. Who yeah. gives a shit? And then on top of that, uh, on top of that, like people that love like they love Cyclops, he gets thrown on the bus. He like, gets thrown all, on the bus in and all also, the movies. And also, I, I don't expect it to be any better in this one because it's the same screenwriter. But one thing about Brian Singer, 
he sucks at writing women. He sucks at writing women. Sucks at um, like all I, of the characterization for the women in any of the movies that he's directed with the X Men franchise. The yeah. women always get the short end of the stick. You know, be it Storm, be it Jean Grey, I mean, be like, it look, look at the movie he did before. Th- like I think he never directed like uh, like women. Th- yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, yeah, and and what sucks is that the X Men. What was always kind of awesome with the X Men is that they have so many great you know female comic book characters, and all of them have just been like. Yeah, it turned into like either these whiny little characters or just have like zero dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like, like in the last one, Storm, I think she maybe had like five lines of dialogue. And don't tell yeah. me they didn't have time to do it because there's literally scenes in that movie where they just stand and wait for Apocalypse <laughs> to put armor slowly on the new nubile blonde actor that they have for Archangel. You know, very slow take, mm-hmm. Brian Singer. You know, taking your sweet time just looking at this shirtless <laughs> blonde dude getting his armor put on him slowly, very slowly. Each director has their own thing. Well, it kind of came back to bite him in the ass. Yeah. So, good riddance. So, yeah. Uh, moving on. Uh, June 14th, interesting contrast that we have here. We have Men in Black International, mm. basically the soft reboot kind of routine that we've yeah. seen in the past. And we also have Shaft. Now, funny thing I brought up a long time ago, although I feel like I was misspeaking. The interesting thing is that Shaft is directed by Tim Story. Tim Story is a guy that's worked on the Ride Along movies, the Barbershop movies, the Fantastic Four flicks, the Taxi movie. Mm -hmm. He's directing Shaft. And Men in Black International is being directed by F. Gray Gray. F. Gary Gray. F. Gary Gray. F. Gary Gray. Oh, no kidding. I always thought it was F. Gray. It shows what I know. Thank you, (laughs) Reggie. Uh, so yeah, F. Gary Gray of, you know, Straight Outta Compton, he just did giant big budget thing with Fate of the Furious, but his background is like with the Italian job, the negotiator, the original Friday, you know? I mean, like, yeah, like he was a music video director and like Friday was like pretty much his big hit. Oh yeah, yeah. So initially when I saw the two films paired up next to each other, I would have almost said it's it's kind of funny that you would feel like Tim Story would be hired to do a Men in Black International movie and F. Gary Gray would do a Shaft movie. But then I saw the Shaft trailer, which just seems to be going pure parody with it. So, yeah, it's- I, was, I was thinking a breakout. With it, but now I'm. Um, I mean, like it's it's not a goddamn parody. I mean, like they try to do something with the in uh, with John Singleton directed the uh, two, uh, the uh, with Samuel Jackson in two thousand. Yeah, with Jeffrey Wright and um, our Lord and Savior Jim Casavell. So mm. um, no, I mean, like I mean, I mean at this point, tongue in cheek. This one seems to be totally going tongue in yeah. cheek. It's going with the whole, you know, hard to be hard millennials. They can't handle the hard shit. I mean, like, he also did the ride-along movies. 
Tim Story did. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like, it's, it's pretty much like in the vein of those movies. But with Shaft, you almost wonder like how many different kind of like things came down the pipeline to where like, hey, maybe we could actually like try to make like an actual you know new modern you know serious just, but groovy kind of Shaft, it's, it's, and this one just seems to be going pure tongue in cheek. Again, I, again, it's. Like it, like all these black exploitation movies, like a lot of them became jokes even within even within like um, the era, yeah, even within the era because yeah. Shaft had two sequels and the third one's titled Shaft Goes to Africa. I haven't seen like all the uh, Shaft movies except for the remake, but um, but I mean like like a couple of years ago when they tried to, to remake uh, try to remake uh, Superfly, it's like. What's the point? Well, Superfly came out last year. They literally just like dumped that on everybody. And like, I wasn't, I didn't even know they were doing a remake of Superfly but until they were like, here's a trailer for Superfly. And I was like, really weird. I mean, like, it's like, I don't know what they're like. I don't know what they're trying to like, try to do. It's just. Do you think it's just like a genre that is just like so much of its time? Or do you think that there's a way it's, to like... It's so much of its time. It's it's the problem is it's so much of its time. But I feel like there's a way that you can the, reappropriate that again, genre. Like look at The Equalizer. I would say the closest thing to like a... But again, it's... it's the like, hundred one is like, Again, 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 it's just that... Like when you look at when you look at the movies that came out around that time, they all had those tropes. Yeah. But when you look at like the first movie, Superfly and um like Dolomite and Well no, I mean like Dolom Dolomite like the weird thing is Dolomite is a comedy. Like it's more of the parody of, of the genre itself. And it became more evident when he did the other sequels. It's like it's it's straight up like But initially it was taken as like, you know, just like I mean symbolic of the genre. Well, I mean like even I mean, like with a lot of with a lot of black exploitation films, like the the big deal was that like all of these studios are like you know like are making these like these big bunch of movies like starring like black actors like you know uh, black actors, but but the problem with it is it's always the same shit. So it's like either they're like hard boiled detectives or pimps like pimps hoes. Or, or, or like, like I said, it's it, like it never evolved from that. So it's like the same shit. So what you're saying is that we should have got like a Doctor Love franchise. Nah, but I mean, like even even Why then, not? <laughs> it's like uh, it's like during the day he'll be he'll, he'll be serving on the surgery table, but, see, but, but the, then at night he'll be bringing in the criminals onto the surgery table. I don't know. Give it. Again, again, it's like well, what you're doing. It's like exactly the parody that you see. Like, I mean, like even the um, Comedy Central did the did the one with the uh, the hammer. Yeah. Like um, uh, with the Jewish comedian. Well, yeah, the Jew uh, the Jew exploitation flick is as yeah. they coined it. So, but I mean, it's, it's, it's the same. The Hebrew it's hammer. The yeah, That's the, thing, the Hebrew, Hebrew hammer. hammer. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying that the genre is kind of like past the point where it's like nobody can kind of take it seriously. You cannot, yeah, you cannot take it seriously. Like honestly, honestly, if they want to do like another Shaft remake, they either need to 
either like they either need to like like completely take, from scratch. Yeah, you got it completely from scratch. I mean, it's based on I believe it's based on the books. So you know, a weird thing is that the closest thing that I would say that is like a decent interpretation of like a modern shaft would be um, Luke Cage, the Netflix series. You know, I feel like that one was definitely going for that vibe. Um, I mean, like, it was going for that vibe, but it didn't rely. I mean, it, on the tropes, it didn't yeah. rely on the tropes of it. Where yeah. it's like I'm, all, where I'm shocked that like they kept his catchphrase "Sweet Christmas" as low as it did, especially when you consider that Luke Cage was created in the '70s to take advantage of the black exploitation genre. Yeah. So, but again, so it makes sense that it would feel like a natural era apparent to. But again, that goes and that that's also that's also goes uh like there's also credited to the writers and the filmmakers behind uh, behind Luke Cage. Yeah. Because um, like I'm Well, they like, do, they, 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 they understood diverse, the history. I mean like it. well no, I mean they also I mean like you're looking at I think who, who created the show? Um, uh, give me a second. Yeah. Well, it's the sense where it's like Luke Cage, as cool of a character as he is, definitely has like kind of the more like questionable history where it's like such a blatant cash in to the genre. I mean, if you go back to the early issues with Luke Cage, I mean, you're talking about this like, you know, almost like the angry black man trope where mm. it's him literally saying jab turkey. You know, in the comic book, <laughs> there's like no sense of nuance or anything like that with the character. So, yeah, I'd say I'd say almost going for a vibe like that could work, but clearly the movie doesn't seem to be going for that. Uh, again, it's and again, it's like it's just it's beyond. <laughs> it's, it's, it's beyond. Yeah. Uh, it's beyond. Well, in which like, case, what, what numbers you got for it? I would say that it was uh, going to get uh, uh, cr- uh, sorry. I would say it was going to get fifteen million. Fifteen. I'm gonna be a little more generous and say eighteen, just because like I feel like Samuel Jackson is just going to be able to pull just enough of a crowd, you know, to be able to see him, and it's cool to see you know Richard Roundtree there, and you know, just like. Again, it's, that's. I mean, that's that's. If you've seen the original movies, I'm not. I'm not giving. I, I'm still saying 18 million, which isn't great, but it's still something. Anyway, yeah. um, moving on. Men in Black International. This one, I feel like, is a complete. It, it could totally surprise me. It could completely just like bomb out with audiences what what do you feel with it what do you feel the vibe uh, i would say i would say the men in black uh, international is gonna be the winner of that weekend being around that 45 because yeah i mean you still got thor coming off of endgame and it's also the pair up between him and tessa thompson so it's mm-hmm. like so it's like another you watch another thor movie it's just that they're now part of another universe and it's just a way to freshen up men in black the concept in general um, I guess it's just, I don't know, Sony would love for this to be able to like, what's funny is that like a $45 million opening would still be really great for it. It's just, I feel like it, obviously Sony wants it to do so much more. Like Sony right. needs some type of new Hail Mary as far as the franchise goes, because yeah, Spider-Man is doing awesome for it, but 
Men in Black is like one of their homegrown kind of franchises. Yeah. So they need it to do good. Not just good. They need it to be like blockbuster, amazing see, success. And, I, and I, I'm I, worried. I do like, not see it as like doing gangbusters. Sony needs it to be. And, and I'm curious where... Yeah, if it opens to 45 million, finishes out with like maybe 150, mm. may do good international. I mean, it's in the damn title, so it might do better numbers overseas, respectively. But I'm 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 curious if Sony is going to do the little song and dance kind of like, you know, worrisome chicken little routine where it's like if this movie doesn't open as like gangbusters as they want it to, you're going to hear some, like, little rumors and everything pop up about, like, okay, is it worth keeping Columbia Pictures? Because the longest rumor for the longest time is that Sony wants to sell off Columbia Pictures to somebody. Because all of their respective franchises, it's like, they want their Marvel franchise. They yeah. want their Pixar. They want their Star Wars. But with their Sony selection, I mean... We're getting a Ghostbusters movie next year, right? Yeah. That's going to star a bunch of fucking kids, you know, that came out of nowhere. And uh, and it, and I don't, I mean, God forbid, I don't want to bring up the Ghostbuster remake whole fucking is. thing. But it's just like, they wanted Ghostbusters to be, they, they made a whole fucking ghost corpse. They wanted it to be mm -hmm. the start of a multiverse. Yeah. They wanted it to be the start of a cinematic universe. And somehow, some way, Jason Whitman is pulling off another one that's coming out next year. But I don't think that one's going to make that much money. And here's Men in Black, which probably isn't going to make as much money as they wanted to. Again, it's like what other properties can he, like, they don't have any like big properties to exploit. Well, there is one, but they might not even keep it. Bond, James Bond. Well, I mean, I thought, I thought the, uh, I thought it was going to revert back to uh, no. James like, Bond, he, James Bond, Bercoli, with the, I thought Bercoli was going to go with uh, Anna, uh, Anna Brown and MGM with twenty five. But Sony still gets a little piece of it initially. For the time being. Mm -hmm. And then after Bond 25, which is going to be the last one with Daniel Craig, and just seems to have a nightmare production right now. Like, Daniel Craig had, like, a serious ankle injury. Yeah. Yesterday, there was an explosion that, like, injured fucking three of the crew members. So, Jesus. I mean, they're going to come out with this movie somehow, right? Right. Um, but after Bond 25 comes out, it's, it's an open bid. Open audition. And a lot of people want a piece of that James Bond franchise, which means Sony might be left out at the altar. So you're losing out on Bond. Ghostbusters isn't going to be a cinematic universe for you. Men in Black needs to. And I feel like a $45 million opening would be pretty decent for the kind of film and the anticipation that it is. Just... I don't know. I don't think it's gonna. I think it's gonna bite them in the butt. Yeah, I mean it's gonna bite them in the ass. But, yeah. but I mean at this point, I mean at this point they have to come up with. Something. They probably have to like either look for more properties or they have to come up with something original. Or Sony is just gonna sell off Columbia Pictures to anybody that wants its backlog. <laughs> Paramount would love to get their hands on it. 
Would love to. Or one of the rumors that I heard, Amazon. I've heard of Amazon just to be able to boister their back catalog mm. is thinking Columbia. I mean, like, does Columbia has their whole library intact? Because it's not because it's not worth. I mean, it's, it's, it won't be worth it to them. Like, for example, if MGM, like, like for MGM's case, where it already sold off, like all their classics to. T- I mean, to turn to broadcast. Before. Remember, MGM already has like that weird alliance with United Artists, like. I think it's a running theme at this point how we just keep forgetting that any film that's coming out from Annapurna and um, MGM is now considered a United. It's fucking it's, confusing, it's, 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 Reg. Well, no, 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 no. But I mean, like, even, but I mean, like, even going back to Booksmart, it's like that's the third film that came out and they underperformed. Like, uh-huh. that, yeah. So like, United Artists is like it's it's on a rocky start. Yeah. So you're sticking with the 45 mil. Yeah. Uh, final gross about what 130, 140. I'm just thinking 150. 150. Okay. Some legs. Some legs. I'm thinking 130. So decent enough for it. Probably will get great international numbers, but. I'm going to make a prediction. You're going to start hearing those little rumblings where Sony is going to start getting like really hetchy fetchy. What does Sony wants to do now? It's like, I mean, like, okay, so they sell off their, they sell, they sell off Columbia pictures. So they're no longer in the film business, but they're going to hold on to their music, you know, the music catalog and just be. be I think, I, I think Sony would probably be more than happy to just completely focus on hardware. Because they're about to launch the PlayStation 5. They're about to move on to cloud services and all that kind of crap. And it's like, why are they going to hold on to something that isn't going to be able to make them the most money? Especially when there's other companies that are willing to pay top dollar to be able to get it from them. Right? Right. So, with that said, uh, we're moving on to probably the biggest weekend of June. We got Toy Story 4. Toy Story 4, Child's Play, the Chucky remake, Mm -hmm. and um, Anna from the, I guess, the newly acquitted uh, Luke Basson. So, Reg, what numbers you got for those guys? Uh, Toy Story, I had it at 140. 140? Yeah. You think it's going to open less than Finding Dory? Well, how how much did Finding Dory open up? 170? Like, like, Reg, just to put in perspective about how big the recent Pixar sequels have opened up. And it, and I mean, they've told us, right? Pixar has said, hey, we're not going to be doing sequels for a long time. Right. We had to do all these sequels. Now we're done. But just to put in perspective, Finding Dory. I'm sorry, I exaggerated. But Finding Dory opened up to one hundred and thirty five million, ended up with four hundred and eighty six. Last year alone, Incredibles 2 Mm. opened to one hundred and eighty two million and finished with six hundred and eight point five million. The highest grossing domestic film, obviously without inflation, Mm. animated film of all time. Gangbusters. So you think that a Toy Story four would open? It'd be it'd be, it'd be rough for Toy Story because like because you, I mean like you're still looking at because with Incredibles two like everyone wanted Incredibles two like everyone 
that went to see that movie wanted it. But with Toy Story, yeah. But for with Toy Story four, it's like okay, it's ten. It's like roughly what, almost ten years? Like almost ten, like nine, nine years. years. So it's like still a good distance. I mean, like it's nine years after the third one, but it's like okay, you know, like people are a little more timid with like what they're going for. But the Fandango sales have actually been substantially outpaced in Incredibles two by about 40 percent. So the moment that it was able to be on pre-sale, it's already outpacing what Incredibles 2 was able to do. Really? Yeah. So the current projections for it are 200. Hmm. So considering that Incredibles 2 was already able to be the highest, uh, highest animated opening of all time, people are already figuring, okay, Toy Story 4 for sure, for sure is going to do that. So you're sticking with your 140? I mean, yeah, at this point, I admire a man of conviction. Are you sticking with the convictions, Rich? Fine, I'll stick. I'll stick with the one forty. All right, then you because can be I able mean, to. I mean, then you can be able honest, to make us all feel ridiculous afterwards. I mean, like honestly, honestly, it's it's just hard to predict the shit. That's what do like, you feel that with its legs, though? Because Pixar films always have awesome legs. So I said four hundred fifty uh, for domestic. Four fifty, okay. All right, um, I'm going to be the typical one. I'm diving in. I'm saying 210. I'm saying it's finishing out with 600. I'm going to say it's going to finish just a little over 600. Hmm. At about 620. Okay. I mean, it, you're talking about probably the most beloved of the franchises, and it's just enough time. It seems like an intriguing enough concept. It at least seems like it's introducing enough things where it's like it doesn't just seem like, uh, you know, covering familiar ground. Like, mm. I mean, I thought it was kind of brilliant that the first trailer that we see from it is the concept of Forky. Like it's introducing mm. an existential concept to this universe where it's yeah. like, wait a minute. So an inanimate object can still be aware of its own existence. And it's like, it's probably going to play into the theme where it's like, as long as you're still able to provide joy to a child, Mm -hmm. then you can still be able to like, do what you can to be able to enjoy it. And it's like, okay, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. Okay. That's Pixar for you. Yeah. So it's going to make a ton of money and then we're going to move on to original films, please, for the love of God. I mean, do you see the trailer for... Uh, Onward? Onward. Yeah, Onward seems fun. <laughs> seems fun. Seems like a hoot. Uh, Chris Pratt is doing like his best Jack Black impersonation, which seems... Seems a little weird. Uh, I don't know. Chris Pratt's... No, what got me was... The, the, he's, <laughs> he, he's become like a born-again Christian kind of dude. He's marrying a Schwarzenegger. Um, you know, he's... I'm hoping he doesn't turn weird, weird, but it, it, there's signs are there. There's signs are there. Dude, it, it happens. Like it's it's hard. But he's so much better when he's like chunky, adorable Andy. So yeah, there are actually two other movies that are coming out this weekend, and it's uh the Child's Play remake and Anna. Rich, what do you got? Well, for Child's Play remake, I had it at 35. Anna, um, like Anna, like I, I haven't seen any trails uh, of it until I uh, saw until I saw John Wick, and from that, I'm like, and by watching the trailer, 
Like, I think that movie's going to do less than 10 mil. Yeah, I got Anna at, like, a very generous $7 million opening. For Child's Play, I... With Child's Play, I don't know how much it's been able to, like, sell its concept. Because the whole thing is that instead of, like, a possessed doll, it's, like, a corrupted AI kind of thing. Which is, like, a fun way to reinterpret the franchise. However... The the interesting thing with the Child's Play franchise, right, is yeah. that up until just a couple of years ago, even when it wasn't released in, you know, major studios, whatever, is that, like, the people that were in charge of the Child's Play franchise still did a good bit to, like, still work with the fan base. Yeah. You know, where it's like, even when it went direct to release with, like, Seed of Chucky... And stuff like that. It's like it still made sure to like directly appeal to the people that have like stuck yeah. with the franchise. So I think that because the franchise hasn't like because this movie doesn't seem like it's trying to appeal to that main base that like kept the franchise going even after it was released in theaters that like mm-hmm. still like went to support the directed video releases and still yeah. like, you know, kept the fan base going. I think that, I think that is going to be a factor to it where, I mean, that, that is a possible factor, but yeah. I mean, like, but look at like the recent, uh, just a Blumhouse movie, Ma, that did at least spectacularly well with 25 million. Um, no, no, no. It did 19 million, which is still great. Oh, still good. Still good for what it is. It's just, I mean, I I feel like with Child's Play, you're talking about a cult film franchise that's had a very dedicated cult cult fan base. I mean, like all, all, I mean, I mean, it it falls under like all the other like horror characters. Like you got your, you know, your Freddy's, your Jason's, um, Jason, Chucky is like, is like part of that. Yeah, it's, it's part of that that group of like horror characters that everyone knows and loves. Yeah, but I mean, it's just with, it ju- it's just with the people that stuck around with the franchise, even when it wasn't considered mainstream anymore. I feel like with this film not really doing anything to kind of like reach out mm-hmm. to them is gonna be a factor with its overall opening weekend. So I'm gonna give it twenty two million for its opening weekend. <clears throat> Um, but it's just, it's something to keep in mind where it's just yeah. like child's play, the Chucky franchise. It's a unique circumstance where yeah. you've had a dedicated one like that. But I mean, but again, like you can say the same thing about, uh, I mean, like when they did the remake for nightmare on Elm street and like nightmare on Elm street, um, uh, like, um, Halloween and even, um, and even, what was it? And also Friday the 13th. Like, it did some kind of business. But those I wouldn't consider cult franchises, while Chucky ended up becoming a cult franchise. But I still, like, but again, but I still consider Chucky as, like, part of the, uh, like, the famous, I, I mean, horror icon. No, I feel you. I feel you. That's, that's so. what I'm saying. It's like they're selling it. They're trying to sell it on the bow. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, speaking of horror, and this is probably going to be the thing that hurts it, in uh, the long run, uh, the only films that are coming out the following weekend, we have Annabelle Comes yeah. Home coming out on a Wednesday release, June mm. 26th. And then we have Yesterday from Universal. And, uh, oh my God, I am not going to mess up this man's 
name david oh god help danny me. boyle danny boyle goodness gracious rich thank you what would yeah. i do without you uh, so no problem all right annabelle comes home <laughs> what do you got god damn it uh, i know so you don't give a crap about this it's, franchise, it's 25 is 25 mil 25 mil opening weekend what about opening. the five day because the thing you got to think with this Annabelle Comes Home is that it has the characters from The Conjuring, so it is uh, a smidgen of a Conjuring sequel. But they're only going to be in there for, like, a little bit. I mean, like, to get Vera Farmiga and Patrick, um, and, uh, Patrick, what, the other, uh, the, uh, the, the two leads in it, it's going to cost them money. So they're only going to, they're only gonna, it's only going to be a glorified cameo. And then, like, the babysitter's like, hey, your, your creepy doll in the basement is going crazy. That trailer is, like, the most blatantly obvious shitty way to be able to do this kind of idea where it's like, yeah, um, we're a famous family that deals with haunted stuff. Don't go in the basement. For yep. the love of God. And, of course, in the trailer, of course, she fucking goes to the fucking yeah, basement. she goes so. into the basement. Yeah, it, it's just... Red. I mean... You, uh, you, uh, you uh, have to account... Chucky has more personality than Annabelle. Of Anna, course. Annabelle is just like a, just a catatonic, just sitting there staring at you, and she doesn't do anything. Like, have you seen the first one? It's it's haunted. It's haunted house shit, Reg. No, and the, no. And, and there's an audience that gobbles this stuff up. I've seen the first Annabelle. It's such bullshit. It, they gobble it up. And and you gotta like, count, you gotta count too that the second Annabelle made more money than the previous one. Um, Annabelle creation made 102 million compared to Annabelle's 84.2, and just the franchise, the Conjuring franchise, is still as strong as it's ever been. Oh the God. Nun, a spinoff of The Nun, opened to $53.8 million. The Nun! Uh, I just the concept of movie. a spooky nun! I do not want this movie to make so much money. Reg, you gotta think objectively. That's the whole thing about this. You gotta think. You can't think with your gut. Obviously, I think this stuff is just like the most simple, blatant, you know, freaking haunted house. But it's like, you think it's going to make fifty million? Like I think towards, it's, especially when it's well, especially when it's so close to the end of the month, and it's it, it's close. It's at the in end the of the lead month. up to Fourth of July. Yeah, I think it's I'm I hate it. I'm biting the back of my teeth right now. But a back of my cheeks right now, but I think it's going to open to 50 million with the five day mm. and then probably finish out just a hair over 100. There's a built in audience, all the kids and dweebs and little girls that are like, oh my God, it's so scary, is going to like, they're all off. And it's going to be the holidays and probably the parents or whatever are going to be like, yeah, we're going to see yesterday. You you twerps can go see like the scary doll movie, you know. No, I'm just saying this is just a bad weekend in general. No, the, horror, horror can do well over the um, 4th of July weekend in that spot. And just it, it's crazy to think, but it's a horror franchise that has actually managed to make a cinematic universe it's a conjuring universe now and it's making fucking bank and it's new line speaking of icons it's it's new line cinemas doing this all over again you know sunrise Mm -hmm. sunset with those guys 
But uh, yeah, the final topic of the day is going to be with yesterday. Um, what, what do you think yesterday's going to open to? You think 10? I'm thinking 10. Do you think... I, th- I think the more interesting conversation with yesterday is going to be its legs. What do you think the legs are going to be? Uh, do you think for that... For some reason, I had it at 70, but... You think that it's going to have, like, leg legs? Do you think it's going to be, yeah. like, a little engine? I don't know what I don't know the fuck I was thinking, but... Um, I think part of I think part of the problem is is it's not about the Beatles. It's it's pretty much the guy that say that it's about you know it's about this guy who knows all the um, that knows uh, that knows the songs. He's the only guy that knows, knows all, all the Beatles yes. songs. And it's interesting of a concept. I don't know if it, if it's going to be like I don't know if it's going to be that interesting. Well, um, the reviews, it seems like, weren't great when it opened out. And I don't know. It's just it's one of those things where it's like it could totally surprise you. But you always got to kind of go with the rule with these kind of like, you know, you can never. it, It seems like Universal wants it to be like it's little engine that could where it's like it opens modestly, but then it just keeps getting that repeat mm. service, repeat service, repeat service. They wanted to come out with like a sing along edition. Yeah, Universal would love nothing more to be able but, to do that. But here's the thing: it, like it won't, it won't be able to do the same thing as either. Like you know, Mama Mia. I think Universal did Mama Mia, right? It did, but yesterday is going for a completely different kind of vibe. It's going after us millennials. That you know, they like the Beatles, but yeah, I mean, but again, there's it's, enough it's, of us rock band Beatles, man. Come on, yeah, there's rock band Beatles, but we literally bought video games to pretend that we were the Beatles. There is a market for it, yeah, there is a market for it, there is a market for it, but I just don't so put I, it this way I wouldn't be surprised if it opens as low as like 6 million, if it opens as low as Booksmart did, mm. or it could totally blow my mind and open at like mid 20s, you know, like a Rocket Man was able to do, and then just end up being like the surprise hit of the summer, you know, yeah. where it's gonna get the good buzz, where it's like, oh, this movie was able to open big, it's mm. the new. Slumdog Millionaire in the summer kind of stuff. You know that they could totally like play that up. And I think the better it opens, then it's a monster. But if it opens at like that 10 million, I don't think it's going to capture people's enough attention to where like, you know, word of mouth is going to be a big thing with it. Again, again, it's like it's it's going to be on the long line of movies that features the Beatles catalog that... It just doesn't hit well with audiences. I yeah. mean, I'm, and as I mentioned before, you have the cult classic of uh, Yellow Submarine, mm-hmm. and then you have like then you have the uh, the BG's Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Even though it bombed, it's like it has a cult following for some reason. And then you got the Cross the Universe, which. Also has a cold phone. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's it like, actually didn't. And I think it's just because it has a Beatles song is in it. And that's why they have the cult status. But 
Like, none of these movies were aren't that great. Yeah. And then there was that John Lennon biopic, but it was only when he was, like, a little kid. Uh, nowhere Boy. Yeah, but, I mean, that was the relationship between him and his mother. But what I mean is that it's kind of funny that all of the Beatles flicks that we have gone gotten so far, it almost seems appropriate, right, that this one wouldn't be a breakout hit and might just end up being a cult thing, too. It seems yeah. appropriate. It I mean, seems at, appropriate. At this point, I mean, at this point, if you want to like, do anything Beatles-related, either you got to do a documentary, um, either do a... Well, they did that just, like, a year or two ago with Eight Days a Week on Hulu. Yeah. But, I mean, like, I mean, like a massive documentary where... Where, I mean, at least you get, like, the, the members to sit down and interview. Well, we'll have to take it up with at least the two. There's kind of two big guys. Yeah, either the surviving this. members, either you, either, like, try to get, like, get, like, the surviving members on record and, like, get them, and, like, you know, and just, you know, like, try to, like, piece yeah. together, like, the whole history of the band and like, even, even, even when they broke up, it's like really interesting. It's like, uh, interesting because, uh, like when Ringo was interviewed through, um, I saw the Ringo interview and he mentioned that he was one of the first Beatles to get a number one record. Like nobody else, uh, was I able was to get, fir- I was the first one that was able to get one. Yeah. And then <laughs> like George Harrison, like, um, almost won, um, like, like got a lot of praise from his first album. Mm-hmm. And the only two that didn't do well was Paul and George. I mean, Paul and, uh, and, uh, Paul did fine. He had wings. But wings came like mid 70s. Like when they first started out, it was just George Harrison and Ringo. Yeah. Well, and, and then, also. And then, uh, um, and then like. Well, John wasn't able to make a fucking album because the U.S. government was trying to deport him. So. He, yeah, he had other shit to do with before he again, came up with this. Again, uh, but I mean, like, again, like, all of them, like, came to their own, like, with other, like, albums. So, I know, like, like, with him, it was, like, the, uh, I mean, the Plastic Band. I mean, Johnny and Yoko, Plastic Band, and, and then, again, yeah. with Wings. Yeah. The beat. Yeah, and that's the crazy thing to think with the Beatles is that, like, you know, when you're talking about as distinctive of characters, involved with all four all four would you'd almost have to do like a cinematic universe where like you can make a paul film a john film a george film and a ringo film you could but and then they would all culminate together (laughs) to be able to defeat uh the monkeys with with the blue minis the blue minis (laughs) Oh my god, imagine that kind of twist like at the end, like play the film straight up and then at the end of the John one the after credit scene is the blue meeting grabbing the Infinity Gauntlet where it's like well, I guess I'll be the one that doesn't do it. Tell them I won't destroy them. No. And then just like, and then yeah, it the yellow submarine cinematic universe, Reggie. Okay, All Jesus right. Christ. Let's let's, uh, let's coordinate. No, I mean, let's coordinate with Ringo. Let's coordinate with Paul. They don't have too many years. We got we we gotta yeah. we gotta pitch this to them. But but uh, what I also like about it is uh, like if you want to do like these like you know how some of these biopics can be like historic like historically epic at three hours. Yeah, you can do the Beatles. Like I I can see the Beatles being a three hour long movie. Absolutely. Well, with, I mean with like. But I mean, like again, it's it's just you got to get in the right hands of 
the scribe and director. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, with that said, uh, so yeah, June looks uh, interesting as hell. So uh, we'll see if we get our confidence and everything with our predictions. And uh, yeah, we're uh, signing off. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to squeeze out another episode next week. I'm going to be out of town for my little brother's wedding. It's going to be a hoot. And uh, yeah, so make sure to follow us on Spotify, on SoundCloud. We've been on iTunes and uh, we really appreciate you guys listening to us. So this is Robert signing off. And this is Reggie. Good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs>